Hello everyone. Welcome to the Mind Your Mind podcast. I'm Hina Malik and I'm here with Ozan Pulsu, the brilliant author of The Lean Mind, one of the most captivating books I have read lately. He's also a mechanical engineer and I fail to comprehend how he manages to don these two contrasting hats, one technical and one creative, together so gracefully. Needless to say, he is a great thinker and in today's episode i'm going to interview him to understand how our mind actually works i'm already excited are you hell yeah all right ozan so first things first how does the mind think and act well that's the golden question isn't it how does the mind think and act that is the question that got me thinking got me into this whole ocean of research and practice to master the mind mention i have two contradicting jobs and how i manage both at the same time i'd say i can manage it specifically because they are contradicting engineering approach adds a lot to the way of observing and managing the mind in an efficient way it opens new doors of methodology and practice my view of mind my deep work in understanding and researching the mind started because of the problems i was having with the mind say depression say laziness say anxiety say stress all these problems led me to a point where i had to find the solution to these and i had to find the solution inside my mind not outside not in the environment as soon as you start having the same problems everywhere you go you know that it is coming from you not outside and i'm pretty sure everybody's process of self growth and spirituality starts from the point where they are having problems and this intensive feeling that something's not right so in engineering approach to manage something better to heal something to improve something first you understand how it works you want to improve the design of a internal combustion engine first you got to know its processes and how it works and after that you can actually come up with some theoretical calculations how it can increase efficiency and design its manufacturability and then you actually start to work on it so this approach when applied to mind when i had problems with the mind i started watching it every time i had depressions i had low days when i was down i started watching the thoughts go around and ask why i do the things i do and that's where the shift happens because if you look at the classical way of changing your mind and changing your life you mostly start with actions mm-hmm. that doesn't always work does it if you have a problem with obesity you know that you can actually eat less and go run 5k at 4 4am in the morning but you don't always do that for a year every day do you if you have anger management issues if you're always angry you know that it hurts you you feel your heart can you just stop being angry no when you're sad some people say stop being sad do this can you stop being sad like that no never works so i wanted to understand what is behind those actions because if you want to change them you can't change them that means there is another key parameter 
that we are not controlling, we are ignoring. And I wanted to understand exactly what that parameter is. In engineering, you want to understand how something works and you don't have design files or technical drawings or calculations. You have an engine without any documentation. You simply watch. Right. And I did that with the mind. And what I realized is that the mind is a tool. It's not you. It's not me. The mind and body are the, they are the manifestations. The mind is a mental manifestation of the spirit, whereas the body is the physical manifestation. And you use both of them to go through what I call a human experience to navigate in this physical universe. But there is much more to it. So I started to observe my mind, see how the actions are made. I wanted to get to know my mind. And it's easier process than you think. All you need to do is to take a step back from the mind and watch your thoughts go around, how they are made and how they lead to the actions. And then you will realize the actions and thoughts are completely overrated. I realize the actions and thoughts are generated as a result of this mind process. They are not the key parameters. They are what comes out of the equation that includes the key parameters. This is why the classical way of self-growth, when you try to change your actions directly, it doesn't work because you're dealing with the result of the mind process, not what goes into the process. Then this takes us to the next question, a more advanced question, is that what goes inside this mind process? What are the raw materials of this mind process that generates thoughts and actions? And this is where the observation comes in crucially. And this observation is done backwards. We start with the result and then we start to observe how the process produces this result. So we start with the actions. Think about an action, any action. Now ask yourself, why do I do this? Choose anything. Why do I always wake up? Why do I always drink? Why do I always do this? There's usually a thought behind this action. And now you ask and try to see where this thought comes from. Usually comes from another thought. Thoughts work like a chain. One thought produces another. Every time we ask, why do I think this? Where does it come from? We go to the maker of this thought. If you go back enough in this thought chain, if you come to the beginning of it, we will end up with a thought that is not generated by any other thought. The thought that is the ultimate truth for you. You have taken it like that. You can't explain where it comes from. It is just there and you just accept it as true. These are the beliefs. They're usually linked to an emotional state that is made of a mixture of emotions. Therefore, emotions and core beliefs are the key parameters of the mind process. So emotions are actually what causes the actions what you're doing eventually. Therefore, when you try to change your actions, you actually can't change your emotional state. And this creates an imbalance because emotional state and the core beliefs that's embedded into your mind are generating this kind of actions, whereas you try to do a different kind of action and this doesn't work. What if instead of that, we understand what those emotions and the core beliefs are and we manage those instead instead of telling ourselves 
to stop being angry, stop being sad, stop feeling the pain? What if we approach it from the other way around and see if it works? This was the answer to the golden question, how does the mind think and act? And this was the beginning to a large journey of research and practice to a lean mind. Right, right, right. I think that's a really interesting way of explaining it. You know, you actually engineered the whole process, engineered the whole functioning of how uh, the mind works and you tackled it right at where it should be tackled. You mentioned that, you know, it's important to take a step back and observe your thoughts, observe how your mind is acting or reacting or just behaving. What exactly do you mean by taking a step back here? I mean, how do we do it? Simple. We're just watching it. How do you manage to get so detached from your own mind, from your own self in this case? It takes one realization. One realization, it happens automatically. And that is, you are not the mind. I think this is the biggest misconception, that we are the mind. And if we think that, if we think we are the mind, if we think, I think, therefore I am, and at this moment, we are the slaves of our minds. Our minds control us. We don't control it. When we realize this fact that we are not the mind, then we are tapping into a deeper level of consciousness. Consciousness has levels. Ego and intelligence are just one of those levels. And these are the mental levels. Even the smartest thinking act of the mind is in this level. But who we really are, much deeper than that. We are the spirit. We are, Zekartode puts it, we are the watcher. We can watch the mind and understand how it works. As soon as we tap into this level of self-awareness, then automatically we distance ourselves from the mind. We detach ourselves from the mind and we can see everything in it clearly. As soon as we become the silent watcher, we tap into this level of consciousness that is the self-awareness and we can see the thought chain very clearly i do this because of this thought and this thought is because of this thought and this is my belief probably coming from the childhood this is how you observe simple absolutely i think that's fair enough and it sounds so simple when you explain it i just hope that when we try it it is as simple for us do or do not. There is no try. What was the other saying? Completely forget it. No, uh, you shouldn't try too hard uh, because it all starts by doing nothing and reflecting. So when you reflect, things become easy. Yeah, I mean, you don't even do anything. You just you just watch. As soon as, let's do this. As soon as you have an action that you want to understand why you did it, just ask yourself, why did I do this? And see the thought behind it. As soon as you do this simple act, basically you're watching the mind right now. Now you can say to yourself, if I'm doing this, I can watch it completely and then manage it in a better way, right? Yes, 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 I agree. So uh, you talked about uh, how emotions come up and you don't really have a control over your emotions. If you're feeling angry, you can't really watch your mind and control your anger. So what is the role of emotions and core beliefs? What role do they play exactly? That's a great question. Emotions are the core beliefs, are the makers of many things in our minds. 
They are, as I call them, the raw materials in this mine process. If you have a production plant, the raw materials are what goes into the process to generate the semi-finished and finished results. When it comes to the mind, raw materials include your physical senses, vision, hearing, everything, your memory, what you have accumulated in your mind, and emotions and the core beliefs. This mind process uses these parameters, these raw materials, to produce thoughts. And again, processing the thoughts into a more advanced one. The thought chain goes on, and eventually it leads to an action or an inaction. When it comes to emotions, it's interesting to see that we all have the same emotions. They're not my or your emotions, they're human emotions. It's really like we have some kind of operational system for our body that's called the mind. And it's practically the same in the default mode. And we all have the same emotions with you and me, same operating system. But how you use it and how you set it up is completely different than mine. And this creates a separation between you and me. And this creates the identification of who we are. Correct. So if you watch the emotions, we realize that we have some major emotions, such as love, joy, peace, anger, disgust, fear, guilt, sadness, trust. Then we have some minor emotions, like feelings. For example, major emotion of fear, the related feelings are anxiety, horror, panic, doubt, insecurity, worry. They're all different and they have different intensity. When it comes to love, we have passion, affection, and bliss, and gratitude, and appreciation. Sadness has sorrow, apathy, greed, lust, disappointment. And all these emotions are generally abused by people. There's a misconception that we have good emotions and we have the bad emotions. But what I believe, all the emotions have their own values, different values. And they have different wisdom and message for you. But when we think of our culture, we always say like we shouldn't be angry, we shouldn't be sad, we shouldn't be feel guilty at all. We should always be happy and peaceful. When I tell people I'm a self-growth author, first thing people ask me is like, am I happy all the time? And I say, hell no. And I don't want to be. I'm a human. Therefore, I will feel all the human emotions out there in a balanced way. All the emotions are there in the mind for a reason. We all need them. Can you imagine a mind without fear? What would happen? I'm telling you what would happen. We'd be dead by now. Because fear warns us about the things that can go wrong, that could kill us. Our ancestors survived bears and all lions because they had fear, right? What would happen if we didn't have anger? People would just use us and we would stay silent. We want to be like that? How powerless is it? What is the reason to have sadness? Aren't sadness and joy complementary? If we don't have sadness, we don't have anything specific that will give us joy. Nothing special, right? I, I agree, absolutely. And uh, it's so true that uh, all emotions uh, come together to create that fine balance and make us who we are. I mean, all of them have a role to play. All of them contribute in some way and all of them are beautiful to experience. But we usually tag these emotions as good or bad. We actually don't want to say good or bad, but we actually want to tag them as healthy or unhealthy. 
because too mm-hmm. much stress for example is said to be unhealthy because it may cause depression it may cause anxiety in the long run and that mm-hmm. may lead to a poor health of the person that's a very good point whereas too much happiness is not going to kill you but too much stress can too much grief can too much sadness can so how do we balance those emotions and how do we keep those emotions in check how can we shift to different emotions easily and when to know that we have crossed unhealthy mark you made a great point there an answer to the question is actually hidden inside the question that is the little word balance balance is also one of the last chapters of my book a lean mind i wanted to finish off with that because it's crucial it is the keyword to have a healthy mind all these emotions even the harder ones such as anger fear sadness guilt disgust all of them are necessary and they have value but you made a great point and it's true that they can get to a level where it's unhealthy there are many researches about the emotions and their effects on the mind on the neurons one of my idols in being an author is dr david hawkins who is the writer of power versus force and letting go he has done a lot of work in the, the field of emotions he tries to give a number to the emotions so basically he runs a bunch of experiments over decades to come up with a level of frequency a numerical value to each emotion how they vibrate and how they have effect on the mind and of course there are lower levels which is being guilty disgust these are lower levels and if, as you go up you will find love peace joy serenity and many other works also joe dispenza has similar works to this one uh, also ekman has a lot of works on on the emotions obviously in a more scientific way and it doesn't put it in a hierarchy but research is more its psychological effects what i think is that it's true that they are in different zones and there are different zones in a mind and these zones can differ from the despair zone pain zone comfort zone power zone and serenity zone if we start from the despair zone it is a tough place to be in but it is the beginning of each great journey it has the feelings related to sadness such as sorrow apathy greed then we have the pain zone pain zone is a zone where we feel the emotion inside the body physically fear guilt disgust anger are in these zones and the related feelings are insecurity panic grief resistance loathing hatred rage everything when i talk about these emotions you can directly feel it in your stomach can't you though from its name this zone seems so painful from time to time it is necessary it has a reason why it brings us pain let's take anger what happens in your body when you feel anger your blood pressure goes up your heart beats gets faster you're in a fight flight freeze your body is ready for a fight sometimes you need that if you're a boxer and you just get into the ring you don't want to be all peaceful and serene do you you want your body to be ready for a fight then we have the comfort zone comfort zone is the zone of the emotion of trust we can also call it security and the related feelings are optimism relief faith contentment and if you go to the power zone we will find two major emotions joy and love 
and right in between there is gratitude and appreciation. Other emotions or feelings in this zone include courage, pride, confidence, affection, passion, frustration. Then we have the serenity zone, which is the calmer zone. And the major emotion of this zone is peace, but acceptance and bliss are also in this zone. To be a human, you need a balance between these zones. You need to be in each of these zones because they are all important. But then when does it get unhealthy? It gets unhealthy in two scenarios. Scenario number one, the emotion becomes too intense. Scenario number two is that it stays in the mind process for far too long. You should feel all the emotions in the medium intensity for a limited amount of time. And this is why the observation is very important. As soon as an emotion overstays its welcome or becomes too strong, our observation can put it back into its place by shifting it. Some situations require you to be angry. But if you live from anger all the time, you know, the body effects we were talking about is what happens if you live your life from that state? Then your body becomes tired over time. It gets sick. Can you imagine feeling anxiety for weeks? This will definitely give you sickness. And this is why the balance is crucial. And observation is crucial. Balance is achieved through observation. Because as soon as we realize emotion is too strong or it's become too long, then it's time to shift. Pretty insightful, Ozan. And I think I agree with you. How do you think we can shift shift from one emotion to another is it easy to shift from one emotion to another i mean that's the biggest challenge we all face i'm sure even the listeners are facing this challenge that uh, we realize that we are in an emotional state which is getting hurtful and unhealthy for us but it's still a struggle it's still a challenge to shift from it to a different emotional state so how do you do that that is the part where we need to figure out for ourselves, for our own mind. And this is the fruit of our own observation, because we are all different. There is one prerequisite, though. And the prerequisite is that we should not try to ignore or suppress any emotion. As soon as we try to suppress an emotion, we will just feel it stronger. So to shift an emotion, we can't suppress them. We can't ignore them. We can't stop them. What do we do? And this is where we replace them. And we use different feelings to replace a certain emotion. Each emotion and their minor feelings require different feelings that can replace them. They can be the medicine to the specific feeling. And this also depends on the situation as well. And this is why the self-awareness and observation is crucial here. Let's take fear. If we observe our mind enough, if we become self-aware enough, we can realize the message the fear is giving to us. This message is usually a warning sign of something that might hurt us. If we listen to it, then we can actually analyze the situation and come up with either action or replacing the feeling. If it's a situation where we can actually avoid, prevent, or actually solve the situation, these actions will lead us 
to replace fear with security. If we are afraid of the thieves coming into our house in the night, we lock the door. Then we'll be secure instead of afraid. But of course, there are situations where these actions are not available. The situation is bound to happen and we can't do anything about it. It's gonna happen. What can we do in this case? An action is not feasible. Only replacing the fear with another feeling will make us feel better. And the feeling we can bring to replace fear, in this case, is acceptance. I know this is easier to say than done. I know it very well. But this is the only thing in these situations that will ease our mind. Choose to be optimistic. It feels better, says Dalai Lama. How right he is. If you look into each emotion like we just did with fear, what we will realize is that certain situations bring this emotion. There are certain feelings that could replace them. If you take grief, when you realize grief is a mixture of love and sadness, you are sad because you lost something you love. If you focus on the love part and feel the light of this love that you feel, this could gradually replace the sadness part and it can bring you from despair zone pain zone, the power zone. If you take sadness, there are different feelings we can bring as a medicine. One of the most powerful ones is the gratitude. If you take disgust, appreciation can replace disgust. If you take anger, forgiveness with a pinch of logic and reason. If you take guilt, self-forgiveness. Each feeling in each situation requires different feelings to bring, but this is generally what we do. The crucial thing is to observe and understand the reason behind why we are having this emotion. And then the answers will come on how to move and shift to another emotion. Yeah, I think uh, that was uh, very useful advice. I believe that uh, what you said is the counter medicine to fear is acceptance. I completely agree with that. But... How would we distinguish between accepting and surrendering to a situation? Both are quite closely related. Accepting and surrendering is often uh, confused for mm -hmm. each other. And people use accepting for surrendering and surrendering for accepting. But actually, they are pretty different. Accepting, mm -hmm. I believe, is the first step to surrendering. And exactly. uh, you may you may or may not accept it wholeheartedly maybe you are you are accepting something just because you do not have another option can acceptance come in that way and how pure it will be uh, versus is it good to surrender or is it not good to surrender i mean can you throw some light on it please what is good for you is what makes you feel good and for anything that makes you feel good Go for it. What do you feel when you surrender? Do you feel the peace and relaxation? It depends because you may not trust the person and you do not have the option other than surrendering to that person. Uh, so if you're not fully trusting a person or a situation, mm -hmm. if, you're, if you're still in doubt and you do not have any option than to just surrender and, you know, give in the control to the surroundings or to the other person in front of you then you will not be at peace so how do you ensure that peace comes in peace comes in if you trust 
your own intelligence. Here in this scenario, only person who makes a decision is you. When we are not peaceful is when we question our judgment. If you think that surrendering is the best option in this situation that you're in, if your intelligence decides that this is the best option, and you trust your own intelligence, you trust that it will make the best decision, and you will naturally have peace in this scenario. You know that whatever you decided to feel is the best. No question on your own intelligence. This is subjective, and it's supposed to be subjective. There is no good answer in any scenario. No good feeling to feel. Only what you decide. And whatever you decide is the good decision. Even if you decide to fight, even if you decide to flee, even if you decide to just freeze, or if you decide to surrender, your intelligence made this decision. And as soon as you accept and trust it, then there is peace. I think that's wonderful to understand the intricacies in which our mind works. So, Ozan, uh, coming back to the point where you stated that uh, we cannot really tag our emotions as good or bad. Of course, they can get unhealthy after a point and we can say that they are these are healthy emotions and these are unhealthy emotions. But there's nothing absolute good or bad about them. Even the worst of emotions, the worst of them all will have some positive side to it. One emotion that really comes to my mind here is uh, probably the worst of all, which people feel that very helpless and hopeless about, is regret. How do we find a positive side to regret? What is, the, is there a positive side to regret? And if there is, how do we see that side when we are actually in a regretful situation ourselves? That is just a perfect question. And I think it will be a perfect example of the value in each emotion. Now think about regret for a second. Feeling the regret directly puts you in despair and pain zones. Is that right? Regret directly brings you to a situation where you feel bad, you feel sad about something, but you can't change it anymore. It's gone. It's done. Mm -hmm. All powerless. But now, what is the good side of this? Here's the good side. This is why I answer to all the questions with awareness. But if you become aware of the reason why you feel the regret, of course, there's powerlessness and there's pain and there's hopelessness, but you will also see wisdom there. Regret is telling you something. It's giving you new information about yourself. It's telling you what is important for you and it's telling you what to do next time you face a similar situation. Do you see the wisdom there? It's your own mind's wisdom generating instant feedback on your actions. You regret that you did something. Next time you're not going to do it again. You regret that you didn't do something. Next time you're going to do it. I regret all these times which I wasn't present. I didn't enjoy life. I was stuck in life's troubles. You see what I mean? Amazing message there. 
and uh, you're so right i mean uh, regret is the perfect emotion uh, that indicates how far you have come how far you have grown it's an indicator of your growth so i think that that's the bright side to it exactly all right ozan that was a lovely conversation with you thank you so much for taking out time and giving us such beautiful insights about our own mind and uh, i am i am totally excited to discuss more aspects of your book uh, discuss more topics bring in more uh, points hearing more from you from your experiences from your writing your journey let's see you next time thanks anna love to speak to you as always thank you thank you